I think when I was 22, 23, 24, 25 years old, okay, right out of college, what does everybody tell you you have to do? You've got to grind, right? You got to you got to be the first one in the office. You have to be the last one to leave. You have to do everything perfect. And that's not reality. And that's not sustainable. But you better be smart about your work. And when you do have a lot of work to do, you better do it to the best of your ability. And you better do it when it's, you know, for lack of better words, do. There needs to be balance. I'm not saying that you can't, uh, that you shouldn't work hard because you absolutely need to work hard. You need to work harder than most, but you also better take some time to self-reflect and to understand that it's not sustainable to work 15 hours a day, every single day, seven days a week. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Pursuit, a journey in the life of sports. I'm your host, Chris Mongilia, Director of Men's Basketball Operations at Princeton University. This podcast is all about exploring the intellectual approach to maximizing your ability. We talk with accomplished professionals in the sports industry and learn what has allowed them to be able to succeed on their journey in the life of sports. The goal here is for listeners to collect as many high performance habits and behaviors as possible, and then be able to adopt and apply them into their own lives and careers. On this episode, Tom Wagenblast, who is the Director of Athletics and Head Men's Basketball Coach at St. Elizabeth University, shared how critical his experience as a student manager for the Rutgers men's basketball team was for his career. Not only the lessons he learned there, but the people who shaped and continue to shape him even to this day. He talks about how being able to creatively find solutions and having a unique perspective on things has allowed him to be successful in the unique roles that he has found himself in throughout his career. Tom's ability to reflect on situations and his deep investment into others are the cornerstones of his success professionally. His authenticity is undeniable and on full display throughout this entire conversation. When this episode wrapped up, I was left with a lot of thought-provoking moments, so typical to a conversation between Tom and myself. You will definitely enjoy this one, and I am really excited to be able to share this with you all. Our guest today is Tom Wagenblast, head men's basketball coach at St. Elizabeth University, and now also this past summer was just recently named director of athletics as well. I uh, probably should have led off with the uh, director of athletics for your job title, but I guess I'm still getting used to that one a little bit. Uh, Tom was hired in the fall of 2015 in a unique role. Previously, the school was an all-female college and was transitioning to a co-ed college. Tom was hired as the head men's basketball coach and the admissions recruiter, tasked with starting a program from scratch. He is now heading into year six with St. Elizabeth. Prior to St. E's, he was the associate head coach at Kane University, where he spent seven years. And before that, Tom was a student manager at Rutgers University, where he completed his undergraduate degree. For anyone who knows my background, it is easy to put the puzzle pieces together to figure out where Tom and I linked up. For my one season at Kane, Tom was the associate head coach, and we worked very closely together. If you're a loyal listener to the podcast, you know that last episode's topic was about the power of people. And I could easily do an episode about how much Tom has positively impacted and affected my personal development. But instead, I just decided to bring Tom on to do an episode of his own. Uh, my one year at Kane working with Tom was basically a crash course of how to be a college basketball coach, something that I am forever grateful for. And now just saying that, I can't even believe we only spent one year working together because it feels like we've been working together ever since we met. 
this episode promises to bring a lot of energy, a lot of randomness, and probably a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to get this one rolling. Tom, welcome, and thanks for taking the time for having this conversation. Thanks for having me on, Manj. You know, um, people usually say that your friends are supposed to be supportive of you and always kind of pump you up and tell you good things about yourself and everything. And when you first started this podcast or decided that you wanted to start this podcast and were asking me, what do you think? Should I do this podcast? You think it's a good idea? You know, most people in that situation would be, yeah, go for it, Manj. I think it's a great idea. And I don't know if you remember, but I'm pretty sure I told you, no, you don't need to do a podcast. Everybody's doing a podcast right now. You don't need to do that. And I will admit that I'm wrong. Uh, this, this podcast has actually been pretty darn awesome. And it's been not only entertaining, but informative. Um, but I will also say that I think the best part of the podcast is the introduction music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I, I need to download it just to put when I do like my yoga sessions or something like that, because it, it's, it's awesome. But <laughs> thanks for having me, Manj. I appreciate it. I do remember you telling me not to do the podcast. I do remember <laughs> that. But that's, that's what a good friend does. You know, you keep it real. And uh, I have in my notes here that I know you're going to be really upset that the podcast intro music is not a part of the live recording. So <laughs> you have not heard it. You're going to have to listen back to hear it before uh, you hear it today. Um, I actually wanted to start this episode off with a trivia question for the listeners. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Tom Wagonblast has the first official victory in St. Elizabeth University men's basketball history on the record. But can you tell the listeners who has the first unofficial victory in program history? Oh, how about that? It's Monge. It's you. <laughs> That's right. Because you coached the summer league team uh, at the Jersey City Summer League that first summer. How, how about that? Man, I almost completely forgot about that first summer and bringing those guys who had never met each other, who, who I had never got to coach, get to really even talk to in a group setting. Yeah. Um, and here I tell you, what were you like, were you at St. Peter's? I don't remember exactly. I had, so that was when I was at St. Peter's. I had just finished my first year and then I went to John Dunn and he was like, you got to go try to get a job. Cause you know, at St. Peter's it was full volunteer. So like you, ha I had to officially resign from St. Peter's so that I was no longer a, you know, a coach on the staff. And that's when I was going to do my whole summer of like working camps and working and coaching and doing all that stuff. And right at the same time that I started coaching your summer league team, I was interviewing for Princeton. So I think I right. had coached like the first two or three summer league games. And then I got hired here and I was like, sorry, Tom, Princeton called. I can't coach your team anymore. And I think we won a lot more games when you decided to take the job at Princeton instead of, you yeah, know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. who coached, but yeah, that was, I forgot about that, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good trivia to start yeah. it off. Um, I really wanted to start, you know, go back to when you're 18 years old, you're headed to Rutgers University uh, for college. Who or what directed you towards being a basketball manager for the men's team? Because when I was going to college, I had no idea that that was an option. I would have tr probably guided my college experience to trying to figure out how to do that. So I'm just curious why or who or what sent you in that direction? Yeah, um... All right, so I played for an unbelievable high school coach. My high school coach, Bo Henning, um, had such a great impact on my life, teaching me how to be a coach without ever talking about X's and O's. Um, and 
what a powerful, even looking back on it now, I'm thinking about it right now. It's, it was really cool to be able to play for a guy who I respected so much, who the town respected so much. Um, and, and that's coming from a guy who didn't like, wasn't all that great, you know? Um, so anyway, I graduate high school. I missed most of my junior and senior year with back injuries. So um, my high school basketball career was disappointing to say the least. And, um, but that gave me a different perspective in that I wasn't playing. So I had to like talk to my friends about what was going on in the court. And, you know, he gave me a clipboard uh, the first day of tryouts to, to try to uh, help evaluate kids and everything. But um, the real reason I even knew what being a manager was is because when I was a freshman, uh, Brad Wattell, who was a senior at uh, East Brunswick High School and where I went to high school, uh, was actually a manager at Rutgers. And I was a season ticket holder. And I remember just always seeing Brad carry the the laundry bag in at halftime, like to go, you know, like with all the warm ups and everything. And I'd be like, Oh, there's Brad, you know, <laughs> but I didn't know what Brad did. I didn't know what being a manager was being a manager in high school is keeping stats, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, I get to Rutgers. Rutgers was my dream school. If I was the number one player in the country, I was going to Rutgers, you know? Um, and maybe more people should do that now too. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was my dream school to go to. I, I was football season tickets, basketball season tickets. I loved going to the sporting events and everything. It was right down the road. So I get to Rutgers and I see an ad in the student paper that said, come be a basketball manager, try out to be a basketball manager. And I had, again, I had no idea what it was other than I knew that Brad, um, Brad was doing that. So maybe that's something that would be cool for me to do. So I show up. And I remember it was like the media room right behind section 118, which is, you know, underneath the basket over there. And I walk in and it's coach Jim Carr and, and Brad at the time who were doing interviews and they called it manager idol, you know, like they basically (laughs) asked you a bunch of questions. It was like, it it was absurd looking back on it. They must've had 50 to a hundred people come into that, come into that office. And they asked me questions and I'm sure Brad helped me get the, quote unquote job very much so but I basically talked about how much of a Rutgers basketball fan I was and and what I had done prior to to high school and what I did in high school and everything so they gave me the job um I I had no idea what I was getting myself into I didn't know I wanted to be a college coach all I wanted to I knew I wanted to work in sports and I was like all right this is a good way to get myself involved in sports I was a sports management major which is the fakest major on the planet. Um, but, uh, but I basically took four years at, at Rutgers University as a basketball manager to learn how to be a college basketball coach. And I wouldn't trade that experience. And every manager says this. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. It, it gave me, it, gave me, um, it humbled me. It, it taught me what you, ha- what you have to do in order to be a, a college coach. Um, and it made me build great relationships, which as you know, like I still have to this day with the other managers and coaches and so on and so forth. So unbelievable experience. It's, that's really interesting. I, I know Brad from like working Rutgers camps and just being in the business. I had no idea that he was an EB guy. I had no, yep. idea, like, and, and Brad's like, at some point he's probably be a guy you should have on the podcast. Brad's an interesting guy. He's like Mr. Bracketologist now and everything. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's the best and he's. He's so smart and he's such a good guy. He really is. 
So he was like your ignition point. I talk about that a lot on the show. So he was someone that you saw doing it and you're like, well, if Brad's doing it, like that would be cool. Like I can do that then. Yeah. And you know, what's weird. It's like, I hope this doesn't come off as a knock on Brad because it's not at all, but Brad was a manager in high school. He wasn't a player in high school. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't think it was normal for players to then go be managers, but in reality, in my opinion, there is no better way to work in sports than to be a manager. And, and if I was giving advice to somebody about how to, which is a whole separate topic that we should probably talk about, but like how to break into the business, you know, like everybody always talks about that. And I hate that we call this a business, but how to break into being a coach and everything. It's like, you know, go be a manager at a, at a school that has some power, you know, um, no knock on Rutgers, but we were bad <laughs> when I, when I was at Rutgers basketball, you know, like if, if Villanova would have been my dream school, if Kentucky would have been my dream school, who knows, maybe I would have never even worked for them. But um, those are places that can really, really get you into some great situations. Mm -hmm. Your time as a manager at Rutgers, listen carefully to this question. How did being a Rutgers men's basketball manager prepare you to become an adult? Wow. Um, To become an adult, every, every aspect about it. Um, from doing laundry <laughs> to, to cleaning the locker room, to vacuuming the locker room, you know, to uh, basically dr- to driving players around, um, to scheduling hotel reservations, to making food reservations. It, 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 it prepared me for everything you needed to do in order to, to work and you're right and to live. Um, I remember even working camps back in the day and the amount of different high school coaches I met working camps as a manager, you know, like it's, it was incredible. Really, really thinking about it right now. I haven't, I haven't done this in a while. It's, it's pretty cool to do this, but like, I remember Brett and I, Brett McConnell and I um, like running around like crazy people during camp for, you know, 16, 17 hours a day from six in the morning until God, uh, like midnight as the kids are going to sleep. And Um, that was absolutely awful. Um, but I tell this to everybody, you don't know how to work hard (laughs) until you've worked basketball camp in the summer. And Mond, you know that better than anybody right now, right? Yep. That's true. Your hair, your hair turns a different shade of gray by the time you're (laughs) with, uh, with camp every summer. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I, it's interesting because I know that a lot of people that, you know, talk about sports, especially at the college level. Um, they always talk about how important it is to developing character and preparing you to become a professional. What's that rent a car company that always has like, I'm going professional and something else besides yeah. basketball or whatever. I think it's yeah. Hertz or enterprise. Yep. Enterprise. Um, yeah. But it made me think about like, it prepares you to become an adult. Like you you're given responsibility. You have to do a lot of things that you don't want to do, but you have yep. to get them done because it's been put on your plate. Yep. Um, it also it, it humbles you it humbles you a lot too because you know you're a freshman in high school like everything else when you or a freshman in college and you get there and you think oh I'm working for the Rutgers basketball team or I'm yeah, no you're you're wiping up sweat you know like <laughs> that, that's what you're doing you're wiping up sweat in year one and then year two maybe they give you some video responsibilities you know and then year three you're doing more and by year four you're a large part of the program and that's uh, you know, it's, it's almost like being a player. It's not being a player, but it's almost like being a player where you really got to earn your stripes. And by the time you're a junior and a senior, you get to, you get to do things that assistant coaches are doing at some places and how valuable, how valuable. 
Yeah, totally agree. You got to put the yeah. time in and then you earn everything that you get. You know, yep. if, you're, if you're a bad sweat wiper, you're not going to get anything good in year two. You're exactly. a bad sweat wiper. Exactly. How, so you said that being a manager allowed you to, you know, become a head, like a, become a coach or a college coach. So talk about how that experience as a manager prepared you for that. Yeah. So right, let's talk about how I even got my first job, which I think is, um, I know that's not your exact question, but I think it all links together. Like, yeah, it works. It's, it's so hard to get jobs. It's so hard to get your first job. Um, right. You volunteered at Kane university or whatever it was in that, in that first job. So I remember here's a quick story. We're on a road trip. Okay. And it's probably me, Brett and Nick, uh, Nick Nache, head coach at Franklin and Marshall, Brett McConnell, associate head coach at Princeton right now. All three of us are managers at Rutgers. We're in a room together. Um, and in walks Dennis Gregory, who was our boss um, and, and one of the biggest mentors in my life, um, you know, as far as coaching and everything goes. Um, and it's our senior year, Brett and my senior year. And we're talking about jobs and what job we're going to get. And DG comes in and says, what, what are you guys talking about? You're talking about getting jobs. What jobs do you think you're going to get? And <laughs> I, and I blurt out some ridiculous statement, like, Oh, well, you know, I can go be the director of operations at Monmouth next year. You know, like that seems like a reasonable goal for me. And he like laughs in my face and, <laughs> and out of my mind. And I remember being so angry at that moment about like, what are you talking about? Of course, that's a job that I can get. But it just shows how, you know, nobody knows, you know, like you don't know that when you're when you're a freshman, you think you go to or when you're a senior in college, you think you go to college to go get a job, right? Like, you don't think you're going to go accept a, you know, a $10,000 a year job at Kane University when you graduate, you think you're going to go be Mike Krzyzewski. So, um, it's, it's humbling, you know, when you graduate, here you go, you got to look for jobs and you're calling and emailing everybody and nobody's responding. Nobody's, nobody's picking the phone up. You're lucky to get any kind of response. You need an in, in some way, you know, like who knows what that in is going to be. And that could just, that in could just be somebody picking up the phone and giving a 10 minute conversation with some advice. Um, my in was that I met, um, Dalit Batia, who was the assistant at Kane at the time, out recruiting. Um, he was a he was a North Brunswick High School guy. I was an East Brunswick High School guy, so we had a little bit of a connection there. So uh, when the job opened up, Dalit said, "Hey, maybe Tom would be interested." And you know, I went to the Final Four, and yada yada yada. I get offered the job at Kane. So, um, but like everything we had to do as a manager from, you know, just showing up and putting office hours in every single day um, to, to like scheduling, scheduling stuff for camp, scheduling stuff for hotels and all that stuff. Like it, and, and understanding what recruiting was like at that high level, because recruiting at, at the, you know, the high major level is very different than recruiting at the division three level. But um it showed that this is what you got to do. You got to send mailers. You got to call kids every day. You got to, you got to talk to people every single day. You got to try to meet as many different people as you can. So um, all of those things really, really contributed to, to, to me, not only getting my job, but being good at my job. So. Mm -hmm. Do you, is there a moment that you can think of from your time as a manager where you can recall something that caused you to like grow up really quickly or learn really quickly? Yeah. Um, Another Dennis Gregory, like, uh, make fun of me, but also give me a good teaching moment story here. So uh, it was the summer. So Coach Waters had had been let go 
um, going into my junior year. So Fred Hill and the rest of the Rutgers staff get hired uh, going into my junior year. And uh, we're all really excited. Um, I remember going to the office. This is as a manager in like, let's just call it June. Okay. I'm 20 years old. Uh, you can think about what you want to be doing in the summer when you're 20 years old, right? Like, I'll tell you right now, it's not sitting at the rack in the office all day. But um, I show up, I show up to, to uh, the office, I don't know, sometime in the morning, and I wake up early. So I'm guessing it was around nine o'clock, you know, and I show up to the office. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna put a great half day in here. I'm gonna work a couple hours for the new staff. I'm gonna try to impress them, you know, and, and then I'm gonna go down the shore um, and enjoy myself. And it's around noon. And I remember saying to Coach Gregory, like, all right, Coach, I'm, I'm heading out for the day. I'm going down the shore. And he proceeded to make fun of me uh, in, a, in a very good way um, for, for that day and probably for the next 10 years after that, that, you know, he still brought it up. Oh, you like to work half days in the summer so you can go down the shore. So um, that was, that was, uh, it was a great, I was so, again, I was so pissed off at the moment, but um, it just goes to show you like, no, you're expected to be here. You're expected to do your job. You're expected to work the whole day and then, you know, then go enjoy yourself. So um, I think that's just one little moment. It was like, all right, if I really want to do this and if I'm telling these people I want to be a college basketball coach, then this is what's expected of me. So I'm either going to do that or I should quit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and obviously I'd continue to do it. So. That's interesting. I love DG stories, man. They're, they're the best. And then you, My you impersonation you, stinks, but, uh, you can't but. help it. You always go to DG voice too. It's unbelievable. Um, right. something that I think of when I think of you is that you have the quality of quote unquote, figure it the heck out. Like that's, that's what I think of when I think of you, um, find a way to make it work. Uh, they always say, I think the phrase is like, you can't fit a square peg into a round hole, but I actually think that you could probably figure out how to do that. Um, that's, that's what I think I've learned about you. Where do you think that that developed like that quality or mindset? Where do you think that came from? Did you have that all the time growing up? Or do you think that is what Rutgers, you know, being a manager at Rutgers did for you? No, that, that wasn't, that wasn't Rutgers. Um, I think that evolved at Rutgers and just like everything else has evolved. Um, but I was a strange kid. Um, I was a kid who I ran events sporting leagues, organizations, all kinds of stuff from the time I was about middle school up and up until two and through high school. So some examples like uh, one, a family fa friend built a wrestling ring in my backyard to um, <laughs> have backyard wrestling events. Um, and there were like 40 kids uh, in the town who would come over and I would put on you know, I was big in the WWF back at the time with Stone Cold and all those guys. And like, I would put on shows, wrestling event shows with mattresses and all of that stuff and film it. Oh God, those should be burned. Um, <laughs> but you know, like all that kind of stuff. Then we get to high school. I, I start and organize the WWL, which is now known and always will be known as the Wagon Blast Wiffle Ball League, um, where literally every Saturday, 75 kids would come to the backyard and we had a legit wiffle ball league. There is video of this, Manj, which I will send you when this is done. If you can I need this. Out. I need if you this. Somehow integrate that into the podcast, knock yourself out. But um, you know, like there was there were kids who were quitting spring sports to play wiffle ball uh in high school. And that's a true statement. Um so uh 
long story short, I think my mind doesn't work like everybody else's. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. But what I think I'm really good at is using my creativity. Um, and I'm not creative in terms of an artistic way, but just like a thinking outside the box way, using my creativity with data. So using, using hopefully the little bit of intelligence that I have with my kind of weird, quirky personality um, to come up with things that might most of the time don't work, um, but might be an outside of the box idea that could, could work at a unique situation or a unique place. It's why I think I'm a great fit at St. Elizabeth right now. We are not the quote unquote normal school, you know, like it's, it's a very small school. Um, it, it, it does amazing things for kids who need some help uh, specifically financially and everything. And you've got to be really creative here um, in a lot of different things that you do. And, and we've been pretty good at that here, you know, like selling at, out games consistently at St. Elizabeth is, is pretty awesome. I mean, you've been to, to our games, like we create a really neat environment in, mm. in, uh, at the school. And I think that just comes from, from me trying to think outside the box and, and using statistics and using, using data to, to build on those ideas. Yeah. I love coming to St. Elizabeth for a basketball game. I love it. I'm sad that I haven't been this year or might not get to, but I, I, it's one of the best environments. I'm like sweating every time I leave and I'm not even coaching or playing in the game. But um, it's interesting you say that, like you were born to like start a program from scratch. We've had this conversation before. Um, talk about that. Like what that was like walking into a job where you literally did not coach a game for a full year. And all you do is recruit. <laughs> wild um <laughs> yeah um i mean and how about being a first-time head coach too right at at whatever how old was I? I guess i was 29 at the time so you don't know what you're doing you know I, I talk about this all the time your first year when you first get to a place you're not very good at your job you know it takes you almost a whole year to truly figure out i'm going to use my old boss's uh line here which i love like who's who in the zoo you know mm -hmm. like who who knows who who can get stuff done and um, I was lucky enough that um, Julene Simpson, who is in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, who was my athletic director and who hired, who hired me at, at St. E's, um, let me just kind of like she, she mentored me and she talked to me and, and taught me, but she let me make St. Elizabeth basketball my own program. And um, it's something that when I, when I was at Kane, I learned too, is that the nice part about Division Three is that you get to recruit kids who you want to be around every single day. You know, like there's a lot of division three basketball players. Sure. Some are better than others. So you can go talent hunting if you really want, but you can find kids who fit within what you believe in and maybe what your school believes in and people that you want to be around every single day. So like, you know, you don't, you don't always get that luxury at, you know, Kentucky or Duke or, or whatever. Like you, you got to take pros a lot of times. And I don't have to do that. I can just go after kids who, who want to be here, who want to get their degree, who want to use basketball to learn lessons in life. And um, that's, that's pretty powerful stuff. So uh, that first year I ran around like a crazy person. And I think I saw every high school in the state that year, we recruited way too many kids, which looking back on it was the right decision um, because it created competition and, and so on and so forth. And um, I mean, to be real, Manj, 
the, the development that we saw in our guys over the course of four years, more so off the court than on the court, was as special as anything I've ever been around. Um, the, the camaraderie that they had, because it was theirs, they started it, and it was, my, you know, like, it was ours. And, damn, it, it, was, it was so, so cool to see them graduate, even though it was virtual, which was awful. Um, but to see senior day and to, to do some stuff that uh, we're still waiting to have, like, our banquet, which is insane, too, with that, with that senior group. But um, it's, it's, it's our program, you know? Like, and, and for the rest of their lives – that first group of guys who graduated and who played on that, that team on November 19th, 2016, in that first game, it's like, it, it was so unique and so special and something I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that when you were a manager at Rutgers, you were saying, you know, I'm going to go be the ops guy at Monmouth. So you're probably thinking you're going to graduate there and eventually be a division one coach on staff or whatever. Um, at what point do you think that shift happened for you where the division three level was actually something that you really loved and fit you as a person? Day one of my first job, um, literally get the job at Kane work for Rob Krasinski, who similar to me, but also the most different person to me is really unique and really different. Um, just taught me that, these you could be around people that you want to be around every day and and we don't have to we don't have to sacrifice ourselves or sell our souls or anything like that we can just we can try to develop guys here every day and i love division 3 basketball because these kids don't have to be here they're not on scholarship they don't have to go to practice they don't have to play you know like they're doing this because they love it because they want it because they see it as a means to get their degree and then hopefully change their lives or better their lives after that. And not saying division one doesn't do that. Cause that sounds like a knock on division one and it's not, but it's different. It's more of a business at division one. It's more of a, if you don't win X amount of games every single year, like get ready to pack your stuff up and go look for jobs. I, I gravitate towards places that are more family oriented and, and who are more people based than necessarily product based or whatever. So um, that's a, at at Kane we had that for a while, um, and at Saint Elizabeth that's what the whole mission of the college is: is to surround yourself around people who who care about you, who want to be there for you. And and right now I'm in a place that's a special place to work, and it's it's challenging at times because the money is not you know we don't have a lot of money at the school, we don't have a lot of resources, we don't have the best facilities. But man, we have, we have great people. And I wouldn't change the environment that I work in every single day, the people that I get to see every single day, the people that I interact with every single day, even if, even if another school offered me a lot more money. Like this, this is a place that I want to be at. Um, and I'm not saying just St. Elizabeth, but people-based places are, are things that kind of, I really, really love. And, and at, small, at small colleges, you get to experience that a lot. Mm -hmm. That's uh, the, the manager thing. I feel like everyone who's a division one manager is always thinking like, yep, someday I'll be on this bench and then I'll be running a manager like myself. But it's very often that you come across people like yourself who just, you know, their first job, like you said, you can't get that division one staff job and you step into D three and you're like, wait, this is kind of awesome. Like I'm never, I'm never leaving. Like this is, this is what I like. So yeah, yep. uh, that's cool. 
Um, pivot a little bit here and get into the quick hitter uh, section of the podcast, which I adore and like so much. Um, give just a quick answer for, for the listeners to maybe have some resources that you can share that have shaped you a little bit. So the first one is three books that you'd most likely recommend to someone else to read. So I have a man crush on Matthew McConaughey. Um, I'm in love with him. And he just put out green lights um, that I listened to on Audible, which changed my life. Audible has changed my life. It's allowed me to read or pretend read, whatever you want to call it, a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't read Green Lights or anybody who hasn't read it, it is, it's fantastic. It's a great book on checking yourself. When you get too high, when you get too low, what you what he did and he's he's wild like i said i'm i'm in love with him so like he he <laughs> he what his his way of checking himself is very unique but um i can relate to to getting too low or getting too high i think all coaches can kind of relate to that too because you know winning and losing is such a roller coaster but love it i think it's fantastic the next one um is a christmas carol um by charles dickens um it is that time of the year and what a great story um if you haven't read it i feel like we should read that once a year a christmas carol it's it's really fantastic of 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 change and good old scrooge there um and and the last one is kind of a cop-out but uh it's called fiona the flamingo and it's my son jake's favorite book um a little while ago, like maybe a year ago or so, when he finally started to really gravitate towards books, he went and grabbed the most colorful book he saw, and it ended up being Fiona the Flamingo. And it's basically uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys, a, a flamingo that is not pink um, and, and goes through his life. And, and at the end of the day, like everybody makes fun of him throughout of it. And at the end of the day, they all embrace him and love him. But it's not, it's not the book that gets me excited about it. What gets me excited about it is the smile and the enjoyment that I see on my son's face when he reads this book and when we read this book. And it is so pure and so innocent of love and excitement that it's impossible to not smile and get excited about the day or about life or whatever. And every single time I read it, I remind myself that, all right, Tomorrow, when I go into work, I damn well better have a smile on my face. Like, I, I better feel good about this. And um, isn't that what we want out of entertainment and books, you know? So, like, I know, again, Fiona the Flamingo, huge cop-out, but um, it's, I, I'm sure we all have something in our life that, that's a checkpoint on that, and that's pretty cool. We could stop the podcast right now because <laughs> that, that is the most Tom Wagonblast answer of all time. The fact, green lights, <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, you didn't tell me this beforehand. I knew that McConaughey was going to be your guy. I haven't read that yet or purchased it, but I need to because I'm a big, I don't know if I would say on the podcast that I love him quite as much as you do. <laughs> Um, but yes, Christmas Carol, there's a, there's a big wagon blast family tradition around that Christmas Carol, right? Yeah, we go, uh, this is the first year in 24 years that we're not going to the McCarter theater down in Princeton to see a Christmas Carol. So, mm-hmm. um, which does a great job, uh, side note and a little plug for the McCarter theater down there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a great day of seeing family and obviously the story is great and the performance is good, but mm-hmm. the book's actually great. The book's, the book's great. <laughs> I took my mom to that because of you. Yeah, look at that. It was nice. 
I, I bet you had a great time. It was awesome. It was really good. It was really good. And then Fiona the Flamingo, man. That's not a cop out. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. Uh, next on that, most interesting follow on Twitter or Instagram and why? We're going to keep this one quick. Um, but the answer is classic dad moves. And <laughs> <laughs> it's basically memes of, of dad jokes. And <laughs> uh, I, I think the funniest thing in the world is when people use new balances to, to make fun of dads. That's like my <laughs> favorite joke. Um, but the whole account is so dumb. It's so funny and it's so inappropriate that it's, it's so me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I find that some people like not some people, but everyone uses Twitter and Instagram in different like ways. Yeah. There's some people that say like, I get all my news from Twitter um, which I think is dangerous in a whole nother discussion. I don't know how much accurate news we're getting from Twitter these days. People say that. I know. I think it's dangerous, but anyway, but they said that's, there's people that do that. Um, there's people that use it for networking. There's people that use it for, um, learning about and getting inspired by people. And then there's people like you who are just like, I need to laugh. And I need like, I, I follow all those accounts. I follow accounts for learning. I follow accounts for humor because sometimes after a bad day, you're just like, I needed that video right there. Yeah. And one. you never, you never know what you're going to get. If you have a variety of follows, you know, yeah. you, get, you get the scroll going and you, you might see a motivational quote by somebody and then, and then you get some dad shoes. So right. like, what right. more, what more do we want? Right. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, most meaningful speech or lecture or quote that impacts your life. Yeah. So I think you're going to know what my answer is here, but it's the Jimmy V speech. Um, man, like I, I wrote down a couple of things I want to talk about with, with the Jimmy V speech. Cause it's just so powerful to me. Um, but he, he says like in one of the first, in one of the first lines he has is that time is very precious to me. Uh, and obviously it's because he's dying of cancer at that point, but isn't time the most valuable thing that we all have? more valuable than money, more that like time, you know, and, and how we spend our time and what we do with our time has, we need to all evaluate that almost every single day. And I think that's just such a powerful line, the most underrated line in the entire speech. Time is very precious to me. Um, obviously the whole, uh, laugh, think and cry, um, whole, you know, that's a heck of a day. That's a heck of a day. So, um, with Jimmy V it's like, and, and all of us, especially as men, do we cry enough? It, the answer is probably no. You know, like I'm not moved to tears enough. And I feel like when I am, I feel better about myself. I feel better about life. And it's such a, it's such a strong, powerful statement. And obviously the whole, the whole theme of the, of the talk, the don't give up, don't ever give up. Um, it's, it's so good. And, it, and it's so, it's so powerful. I think you said that, you know, it should almost be, we should almost be required to, to listen to this, you know, every other month or so, right? It's it's just too good for eleven minutes of your time. I don't know how much I don't know how much more you can get out of eleven minutes. The crazy thing is that speech. I I forget where I heard this or read this. I think it was in the thirty for thirty. They tell you that that speech almost didn't happen. Like I think he was having like a really bad day with the cancer. Um, I think in the thirty for thirty they were saying like. I think I remember that too. Yeah. They, they, Coach K and Dick Vitale were going to have to like, 
Um, I think they had to like walk him up to the podium or walk him down from the podium, but they were saying, Oh, he was like throwing up on the plane too. So like to think that we almost didn't get that speech is like, man, we like so many people have been changed by that speech as you are, you know? Yeah. It's such a good people, speech. And, and people say that like people have energy. Here's a guy dying, yeah. like literally a, a, a month away from death. And to go out there and tell stories like he does is mm-hmm. it's second to none. Yeah. I love the the speech from the locker room when he talks about um, yeah. family, the, religion, and the Green Bay Packers. Yes, and <laughs> and then my favorite one in a non motivational way is when the guy starts blinking the light to wrap up. Yeah. The speech. Yeah. And he's like, I got tumors all over my body. You think I care about that light? <laughs> Such a good one. Uh, I'm gonna go home and watch that one too. Yeah, you, you should. You should. Me too. Yeah. Quick hitters. In only the way that Tom Wagonblast could do it. <laughs> we got Fiona the Flamingo, the Christmas Carol. We got it all. We got it all. Getting back into you, um, Tom Wagonblast, the coach and now athletic director. Um, can you just talk about your relationship development with players and people across campus and how important that is to you? Yeah, it's – okay, so – Everybody says that having relationships are the most important thing. Just like everybody says that relationships and growing people are more important than winning, right? Like we all hear that. Everybody talks about that. Well, if I, I'll know 40 years down the line if I've really done my job uh, as opposed to after a successful season. So I, I was one of those people who thought, like who said that, but didn't truly believe that in my entire time spent as an assistant coach and probably my first two years as a head coach, you know, winning does matter. Winning is important. Um, But what, what we were able to do at St. Elizabeth and quick background, I'm not going to get too much into it, but um, you know, we had all those, we we recruited that first class. My whole plan was we were going to grow these guys until they were seniors and our senior year, we were going to be really good you know, and, and we were going to try to win the conference and all this stuff. We get to the senior year. We're having a great start of our senior year. Uh, like half our team gets the flu at one point and we end up losing, I think it was six out of our last seven games. We missed the playoffs. We don't nearly have the year that we thought we were going to have. And I will, I will say this now and I'll say this forever that that was the best thing that's ever happened to me as a coach or a professional or whatever my life is going to take me basically, because what I got to see is when we were really struggling and really things were not going well, it was like the kids didn't change. The kids stayed the course. They believed in each other. They didn't turn on me. They didn't turn on each other. They stayed, they continued to do the right things and try to do it. It just shots weren't falling (laughs) and, you know, and things weren't going our way. And I got, we got done with the season and obviously just like every team, you have tears in the locker room and everything, but like the tears that our guys had were tears of pride and, and tears of, of true accomplishment. Um, And it's something that, I remember leaving the locker room that day and trust me, I wanted to win really bad for them. Um, But I remember leaving the locker room that day and it was as if I beat the coaching video game. (laughs) It was as if, 
it was as if we finished that level and it was time to look at something else. You know, um, I feel like I did my job. Those guys, those guys grew as men. Um, even the juniors and sophomores who were in that locker room too, but specifically the seniors that we had. Um, and that is not easy. Let's, let's not pretend that building, you know, I hate the word culture, but building culture and building um, family atmosphere is not done overnight. It's done by hours and hours of difficult conversations of frustration, just like any relationship in life is uh, a loving relationship with, uh, with a partner, a friend relationship, whatever it is, is never, as Rob used to say, you know, sit around the table and, and sing kumbaya. So um, you have to be able to have difficult conversations. You have to be honest. Um, but most importantly, you have to be real. I referenced earlier how, you know, your how to be a college coach one-on-one course that you gave me and that I received year one at Kane um, was really important. How do you think you've maybe tailored that unofficial course now and how is it different, if at all, now that you're being an AD? I don't think it's changed at all, Manj. I, I, ah, that's unfair. It, thanks for asking that because it's made me reevaluate a little bit here. So. I think when I was 22, 23, 24, 25 years old, okay, right out of college, what does everybody tell you you have to do? You've got to grind, right? You got to grind. You got to hit the work. You got to do it. You got you to be the first one in the office. You have to be the last one to leave. You have to do everything perfect. And that's not reality. And that's not sustainable. Um, but you better be smart about your work. And when you do have a lot of work to do, you better do it to the best of your ability. And you better do it when it's, you know, for lack of better words, do. Um, I am a huge believer of if you have a ton to do in a day, and that's going to take you 14 hours to do, then you need to take 14 hours and have a 14 hour work day. But the next day, if you have a five hours of work to do, then you should take five hours and have a five hour work day. You know, like there needs to be balance. I'm not saying that you can't, uh, that you shouldn't work hard because you absolutely need to work hard. You need to work harder than most, but you also better take some time to self-reflect and to, to kind of, you know, decompress for lack of better words, to, to understand that it's not sustainable to work 15 hours a day, every single day, seven days a week. Um, but at the end of the day, Manj, like, build relationships, right? How to be a coach or how to, how to get jobs, build relationships. When somebody asks you to do something, you do it and you do it well and you do it on time. You, you know, under promise and overperform every single, every single time. And you better recruit <laughs> yep. uh, because, because all of this we're talking about in terms of coaching doesn't mean anything unless you have players. It's start and built with players and you better develop those players on and off the court. Mm -hmm. I feel motivated right now. <laughs> that was coaching one-on-one right there. And I think, to hang up on me probably. That's what you feel motivated about. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I want to try something a little different here. And I'm, I'm actually really excited for this. And I don't want you to hold anything back here. This, I know this is my podcast, but I want you to be full disclosure, full honesty on this, because this will likely be hilarious. 
Um, but I also think it's going to be really interesting to just break it down. And this is kind of what you and I do on, you know, our phone conversations when we're commuting to work and whatever, um, is really dissect the development of a relationship or a friendship here. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. Give me like a two to three sentence short answer. And then I'll say if I want you to elaborate or go more in depth uh, when we get past the short answer portion. I'll try. There's really no rules here. There's really no rules here. So okay. just do your thing. Um, do you remember the first time that you heard my name or someone told you about me? And I'm guessing it's probably either Rob or Brett, but do you remember that? I remember, I remember Rob saying that you were going to come up and, and talk. I don't, I don't remember the first time somebody brought you up necessarily. It definitely wasn't Brett. It was, it was probably Rob. Mm -hmm. So I think the first time I ever saw you was at Raritan round ballers practice at Immaculate. I forget what school we were at. One of those Catholic schools. Middle in the Sex, New Jersey. Mange, yeah, middle somewhere, Sex. somewhere in there. Um, and I remember you walked in and you like were perusing around and you did your whole wags thing. And I was like, <laughs> who's, who's that guy? And someone told me who you were, but I, that's the first time I think I ever saw you, but interesting that Rob brought it up when I was going to come up that one day. Um, so I Rob, do remember well, I don't know if that's the next question that you have. I remember ahead. that. I do remember that day that I came up to campus. Um, so then Rob tells you that he's going to bring on a high school freshman coach to be on your staff. What are your reactions to that? Uh, I was thrilled because we needed help. I, I, I needed help. I didn't care who was going to help. I just needed, I needed another person to be around a lot and to invest themselves into the program the way that I was. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did not know if you were going to do that or weren't going to do that. But I was excited that we had the opportunity to maybe get somebody. It's interesting. My follow-up to that question was any part of you excited um, to have like extra help around, like you're always welcoming help at the division three level. So that's interesting that you answered that you answered my yep. follow-up. You're in my head. Yeah. Um, then the important part here is first impressions from the first few working interactions that we had together officially as coworkers. So and I, hold on, hold on. Do not hold anything back. First impressions, the first few working interactions. I, I am not going to hold anything back. And <laughs> I'm going to say was, for the people that listen to this podcast, if you don't know this, Monge's, Monge's last name is actually Wooden because <laughs> Rob and I, Krasinski and I used to call Chris Mongelia just John Wooden because he had all the answers and he had all the answers from coaching a middle school Riverdale, we called them the Dellers, Riverdale uh, That's right, basketball the Dellers. That I'm sure you all know already went undefeated and almost lost. He almost lost the team, the championship game, but, uh, but, um, but no, they, they, they overcame. Um, no, the, the truth is, is that you were the, you had a lot of, a lot of um, strange qualities just, and, and it wasn't a bad quality. It's just, you had no idea, right? Like you were like, you were like me, the same comment about, oh, I'm going to go be the ops guy at Monmouth, you know, is you saying, well, this out-of-bounds under worked at, at Riverdale in the national championship game of the Riverdellers, you know, so it'll work, it'll work against Rutgers Newark tomorrow night. But, um, but you did, you, you had qualities that showed that you cared and that you were going to be, you were going to be into it. Um, 
how much you wanted to be into it. I think I remember us walking on the track at Kane one time, and I think you were subbing at that point. It's funny how uh, your mind goes. Like, I don't remember exactly, but I think you were a substitute teacher at this time. And I think I remember having a conversation with you about like, dude, I don't think you should do that anymore. If you really, if you really want to coach, like you need to invest more time into this and, and it will pay off. Um, clearly because, you know, this is coming from a guy who was making $15,000 a year working, you know, 60 hours a week, but I don't know if that's exactly advice you wanted to take, but, um, I'm pretty sure shortly after that, like you didn't sub much anymore and you were in the office all day and it, and it, and it really, it, it allowed you to flourish. Like I remember, I remember you going from a middle school basketball coach to being a college basketball coach and you can kind of see it before your eyes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I totally forgot about wooden. I really did. That made me, <laughs> that made me laugh. Um, and I remember like, I do, I do remember that. So for me, when do you think like those initial impressions changed for you? Like, do you remember what it was like being like, Oh, he did that. And that's a little bit of a, like a change from what he's, what he showed his Deller and his wooden ways early on. Uh, no, I mean, you were always willing to listen. So that was a good, that was a good quality, a better than a good, that was a great quality for you to have and a great quality for all of us to have. Um, we would get into really healthy conversation and debates about whether it's recruiting or basketball or whatever um which was awesome but rob was really good at just you know laying down the law basically and in, in in his own way this is what we should do but also allowing us to have a ton of freedom right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. man can you believe this Monj? i didn't i forgot i know we worked together but like i don't really remember anything ab about us working together and it and it feels like yesterday so yeah but I was, I'm going to get off on a tangent here because, you know, that's, this is what I do, but it's a pod go for it. Podcast <laughs> tangent. It's cool. I, um, when I was like, you know, you, you'd sent this question before just for me to think about. And what, what I was thinking about is how healthy is it to talk about with friends or whoever it might be, how relationships started and why they've continued. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't do this, right? Like, we usually do this at the final four and how important is the final four that we didn't get to go to this year. I know, it's, I know. it's literally, I was thinking about that. Like, it's so sad that we're able to miss that because you get to spend time, like real time with the people that you care about, like in, in your profession. But mm -hmm. anyway, um, like I, I really think it's healthy to try to think about like, why is it that we meshed really well together? Cause we did. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would have loved to see, if we could have continued working together, what, what our brains, cause they're different brains, um, how they would complement each other. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I was thinking about like, why, why is it that we've kept in touch so much and we don't do that with other people. Um, mm -hmm. and part of that is I think both of us are very honest with each other and, and that's something I value very much. You know, yeah, like yeah. I tell you, you're, you're an idiot for starting a podcast and <laughs> And then I do it anyway. And then yeah, I just, but anyway, you were and you were right. And you were yeah. right. So. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of things I haven't been right about. So don't don't worry about that <laughs> one. Remember, I bought an ice vending machine. So remember <laughs> that, okay? Like, let's not forget that. I was I own the one ice vending machine in all of New Jersey and spent way too much money on it. So let's let's remember that. Oh man. <laughs> I just like in my head, I know I was really confident coming into Kane as a coach. Like I remember the delusional 
side that I had. Like the wooden comments were warranted. Like I, I remember that now at this point in the moment, I was like, I, what are these guys talking about? Like, I don't, I'm not cocky. I'm not this, I'm not that. Like I remember now, you know, a zoomed out approach seeing that. And I, I remember being there, but I also left Riverdale realizing that I had a lot to learn. I felt like in my last year at Riverdale, I had maxed out my potential there. Like I felt like I had done everything I could possibly do at Riverdale besides become the head coach, but I didn't have aspirations to do that, you know? Yep. Um, but that's why I left Riverdale for Kane because I wanted more. And then, but when then I, like when I got there, I realized quickly, and maybe this is why I had that listening quality that I had a lot to learn. Like I didn't think I had that much to learn when I got to Kane. Right. Um, so that was like really, really big for me. And then I also think about when you were talking about the delusions that you had in that hotel room with Brett and Nick and DG, like laughing at you guys. Right. Yeah. I had the same delusions. Like I had the same things of like, I remember talking to Brett McConnell on the phone when I was a high school coach and him telling me I had to go coach AAU and go volunteer at an NJAC school and then maybe volunteer at a division one. And I was like, this guy's nuts. What's he talking about? And I literally did all of that. Like I did all of it, you know, because at that, in that moment, I was delusional to be like, I'm just overly confident in myself. And I often wonder if that's a prerequisite to get to where you are is like having that confidence of like almost delusional, but you got to have a little, a little speck of like realism in there and perspective. Well, one coaches, coaches are usually, you know, a little overly confident to begin with. Right. That's just who, who we are as people. Um, and the good ones, I think, check themselves a lot, you know, like understand that, Oh, okay. This is what I think. I, I'm pretty sure I'm right here, but maybe I need to take a step back and evaluate that and, and have some self-awareness, but right, right. yeah, that's a good point, Manj. I, uh, now you got me thinking about that a little bit. My brain will stir over that tonight. I, I think you just said something that like really resonated with me is you, you need people in your life to check you like that. Yeah. You need that because I got checked at Kane and that was like, Rob was always very open and you were always very open and like called it like it was. And that I think is why I was so open to listening and growing and why I think like, the amount of growth I had from when I first, that first day I came to Kane and you met me and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm leaving Riverdale. I'm coming here. I'm coaching at, at college level. And then when I left to go to St. Peter's that year was like the most pivotal year of my life and like, just put me on the fast track. And for that year, you gave me the recruiting tailgate to plan. You gave me the spring league to run. You gave me the prospect camp to run and looking at, looking back at it now, like you probably just wanted all that off your plate, but <laughs> it really was like so great for me, but I also can't help but think about this in ways you kind of became a head coach that year. And I was thinking about this when planning for the podcast in ways you held meetings with me one-on-one -on -one where you ran shop, like you were the HC, like, have you ever thought about how maybe that year, helped you develop and prepare you to become a head coach? Yes. Yes. Um, because so we had, um, you know, coach Kyle was around and, and did a good job on staff and 
was helping out, but he had, um, he had like a full-time job and could only give a certain amount of time. So for the first time we had somebody who was around every single day and who cared a lot about the program and was invested into it. Um, and it challenged me to yes, plan meetings and all of that stuff. And again, as only, as only I can do going on a tangent here, but like even thinking about, you know, you talk about being prepared to be a head coach. No, I don't think anybody's ever been prepared to be a head coach. I think right. it's, I, agree. I think it's so hard. I think the job is, I think being a coach is unbelievably hard. The pressure that you put on yourself, the, you know, the, the, the second guessing of decisions that you put on yourself is something I wish upon nobody. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool to kind of, you know, I, I felt like that year was actually being an associate head coach. You know, we were running a staff there. Rob, Rob is his own beast, you know, mm -hmm. like he, mm -hmm. he was great at what he did, but he needed a lot of help in other areas of the program. And even listening, you said, what well, I forgot about that. We ran spring league. We ran prospect camp. We had football tailgates at Kane university seven, eight years ago. You, you know, like, that wasn't happening at, at division three level. And it was kind of groundbreaking at the time. And, um, you know, so yeah, I think it did no doubt about it. It prepared me to be a head coach as, as every lesson in your life prepares you to be a head coach. Yeah. I like, I remember having no idea what I was doing. Like I had to, I went from, I went from figuring out how to plan a 7am workout at Riverdale high school to then being on the road and trying to figure out if a kid can play college basketball. I had no idea what the kid Remember was. your first recruiting visit? You remember, or you remember the first kid you went to go watch? Cause I remember uh, who the kid was. Is it Bogota? Nope. Aaron Trimble. Oh, I do remember that. Yes. At I Howell. At Howell. <laughs> I do remember that. I, hold on. He was good. He was good. He, really good player. Yeah. Easiest evaluation for me. I'm like, yeah, then there's no doubt this kid's a college player. Like I knew that. <laughs> That was the easy one. The ones without, like, you know, in between yeah. weren't hard, but. Sorry, I interrupted you, but I. No, no, not at all. I just, like, I really remember, like, I remember that little conference room that we would go down the hall to get away from Rob and let Rob watch film. And you would sit in there and we would have meetings. And I, I haven't spoken to Coach Kyle in such a long time. It probably warrants a phone call now that we're talking about him. But I remember, like, coach Kyle being a little bit more interested because I came around and like, that was, I remember you saying like, Oh, Kyle's doing more than he's ever done before. And it's like, we started to have this like really good staff where we were our front rush shout out front rush. I haven't used them since I left Kane, but our database was like really intense. I remember that. And I was like, this is, this is college coaching. Like I'm in it. I'm organizing. We're arguing about guys. And it was really like, it prepared me for coming here at to Princeton. Like, Brett does such a great job and gosh, what went on at Rutgers university when you three, you, Nick and Brett were managers, like you guys are the best in the business at like knowing kids and how to recruit and, and all that stuff. But I remember those meetings and I remember coming here and being like, yep, I'm ready for all this because I went through how to be a college coach one-on-one with Tom. Like that's what yeah. I remember. Why, why do you think it is, you know, Brett, Nick and I like, Three managers at Rutgers. How did all three of us make it out of there? Well, I, the answer is a hotel room. Like, that's what it was. Like, you guys were discovering and, and like, going through and tripping over each other and making mistakes and laughing at each other. There's got to be some sort of a bonding, like, 
And the same thing I just talked about with Coach Kyle, the motivating factor that all of you kind of had the same vision and you were aligned and you all wanted to be coaches. Like you probably kept each other focused on the goal and you probably graduated. And who did you talk to? I don't know. I'm assuming all of this right now. But when when you, Brett and Nick were one or two years out of college, you probably were all doing the same thing. You were all recruiting at the D3 level, right? I'm yep. sure probably were I don't know maybe you drove to events nah, yeah. doing every hoop group event like everybody else does at yeah the time. yeah so like that just bonded you guys and it just was like well Tom's doing this I'm Brett maybe I gotta do that I don't know I'm just spitballing right now but that's probably has a lot to do with it I mean the fact that we still have I'm I've been like adopted into that manager group so you did. Has, so has Dennis Harrington at the at the paw um which makes me, which makes me actually talk about this. I, I didn't include it in my notes, but since we dropped uh, shoulders into the uh, podcast here, um, I, he got coaching one-on-one as well from you at, at St. Elizabeth. And just, you know, just think about, just share that story real quick, how he became your, your assistant coach at, at St. E's. Like that's amazing too. Yeah. I mean, but it, what's amazing about it is it shows the preparation and work that selfishly, uh, you know, arrogantly I put in and shows the preparation and work that Dennis put in. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Dennis, um, I, we were, I recruited this kid from Southern Regional High School harder than I have ever recruited any player in my entire life. Um, and I must have went down there, I don't know, twice a week, every single week, um, mm-hmm. the whole fall. And I remember there was this annoying uh, assistant coach that would like work out with the guys and was way too loud and way over the top. And I remember seeing him and he just would always come over and say hi and you know, what's going on. And he had this ridiculous surfer looking hair. Um, not that I should be talking, but um, he just kind of disappeared after that. And I, I didn't know what happened to him. And obviously he was continuing to be a high school, middle school coach, whatever. He was Chris Mongelia probably at the time. Right. And fast forward it, it holy cow it actually is your exact story because fast forward i'm looking for an assistant coach at at st e's in year one and as always i call brett and i'm like brett you know anybody and he's like actually i just talked to this kid who's working at a prep school down in florida who had a 609 area code so we got talking about it and i think you should talk to him anyway long story short he comes up he comes in and walks around campus and the second I saw him, I was like, holy cow, this is the guy that was working out at Southern Regional High School. And he showed up to every stinking workout. And I was at every stinking workout, too. And he didn't come. <laughs> but and, and yeah, and Dennis gets hired at, at St. E's and spent two years with me. Um, you know, like was did a great job trying to recruit and, and trying to help those kids there and everything. And, and trust me, year one. Can you imagine? any coaches who are listening to this or really anybody who's listening to this. I had 18 freshmen in year one at St. Elizabeth, 18 freshmen. If you've ever had four freshmen on the court at the same time or three freshmen on the court at the same time, you're like ready to pull your hair out. Imagine having five freshmen on the court and their backups are five freshmen and their backups are also five freshmen and (laughs) trying to get through practice and teach anything and just, and, and these are kids who, who don't come from, you know, a whole lot and need some, need some extra attention and everything. And, um, man, that, that, it was so much fun. It's why, it's why their development and their, um, you know, 
just their their love has has grown so much over that time. Just as you were talking, it made me think your first year, not as a coach, well, as the coach, but not as a actually coaching coach. Right. Um, I think I was your assistant coach. Like we would talk on the phone all the time. I was, I had just left Kane. You had yep. just left Kane. We le- I think I left two or three months before you. Yeah, we um, screwed. <laughs> yeah, we, sorry, Rob. If you, I, yeah, you might sorry. listen to this one because it's me and you, but um, yeah, I think like, we went through our changes together, probably on the phone during your rides all over the, over the state, trying to recruit every kid Um, that probably bonded us together. And then the second thing that I would say is if we ever become famous enough, if, you know, something happens and we hit the big time or whatever, what a 30 for 30, it would be for Dennis Gregory to talk about how intertwined all of us are together and how we've been able to, to make it work. You know, um, the fact that I knew Brett McConnell before I knew you and you wound up working together. And then all of a sudden I'm coaching round ballers with DG. And then all of a sudden I go from DG to Kane. And then that makes me match up with, with you and you and Brett were together. Like the web is insane. And just like, all the lessons that DG probably gave you guys at, at Rutgers are just being regurgitated like over and over and over again. And how, I don't know, there's definitely ways we've had so many interns here, Tom at Princeton. I've had managers. I'm in charge of meetings now. Like there's probably things I'm doing that you taught me that I just don't even know anymore that I feel like are my own ideas. But yep. so much of that probably came from your time at Rutgers, like just to go full circle with this whole thing. Like that's where I, my head's at is like, how, how amazing is it? Like every time that group chat goes off that we have that we're all involved in, it's like, it's the coolest thing. And that's, you said it before, like the final four not happening is like the saddest thing that happens because the final four is a lot of things. It's a, it's a networking bonanza. It's unlimited basketball, you know, five days for 24 hours, but it's really the steak dinner that coach wagon blast sets up like the WWL. Um, it's the random chalk talks, but it's really like just being together. That's the best part of that. And that's like, you know, it would make DG so happy to know that stuff. You know? No, no doubt about it. Like I, I literally have like tears in my eyes right now thinking about it. It's all of what you just said is, is so in, insanely accurate and yeah. Steak dinner, man. Like I know is Jim Nance going to be at the, at the steak dinner the next time that we're there? You what know? are we, four for five? Is that what we're we are? Four. Yeah, so for the listeners, uh, we, pick a, we pick the best steakhouse at the Final Four, and we go there, what is it, Thursday night before, before the think, Final Four, right? I think, I yeah, I think it's the first night that we arrive. Yeah, Thursday. And, and that's also the night that Jim Nance picks the best steakhouse in the, in the, <laughs> in the town uh, or the city that the Final Four is in. And four out of the last five years, we've seen Nance there. And Manj, I'm going to make a statement right now. I'm, I'm, I, the, one, I'm the one who ruined it. <laughs> you did. Yeah. At the, at the Alamo. Yeah. Why remember? did, why did you let me pick that year? I mean, I, I picked the location was great. The, through the window was a view of the Alamo. That's why yeah. I picked it. I didn't try to pick the best steakhouse and that's why we, we missed dance that year. You're right. I know. Um, and can I ask your listeners something real quick? And hopefully this doesn't offend anybody, but I mean, they're not going to answer you, Tom. I know, but they're going to think about it and then they're going to be able to give an answer. If you go to a steak dinner and it's the steak dinner at the final four, it's a big deal. Here we go. It's a big deal for everybody, you know? And there's a few people who order chicken. 
would those people be invited back to the steak dinner another year? <laughs> Nobody answered the question. Think about it. I know my answer. Um, everybody might have their own opinion, but that's, that's enough of that. Sorry, Manch. How to, how to say that. Right? Are you gonna- I, can't, I can't believe that. We might have, no, <laughs> we're not going to edit it because we'll keep it authentic, but I, that's <laughs> so over. I, just for everyone's record, I am not the person who orders chicken at the steak dinner. Oh, man. <laughs> 13 years of coaching, right? I think it's 13 if my math is right, somewhere around there. Um, after 10, it kind of all blends in, I guess. Yeah. What are you the most proud of in your career so far? Man, um, becoming, becoming a head coach. That, is, that was my dream my whole life. Becoming a head coach, becoming a college basketball coach was like the number one thing I wanted to do. And when you achieve that and then you get to actually go try to make it your own. And literally I could not have picked a place that would allow me to make it my own more than St. Elizabeth because I literally had to start everything there. That was, it, it was, it was almost happened too fast for mm-hmm. me. You know, like I'm sitting here at, at 35 years old and have already comp- accomplished what I really wanted to, to do. Um, which is a whole nother self-reflection session about, okay, well then what's next, you know? Mm, yep, yep. Uh, but that, and then from an actual coaching perspective, it's, it's the graduation and development of our, of our uh, senior class that just graduated last year, that first four year. And even the guys, we had a couple guys graduate early. Um, so like they're included into that. So um, yeah, just seeing the development of, of those kids. Mm-hmm. Last question for you. Fill in the blank with the first word that comes to mind. I am where I am today in my career because of blank. People. Going from, you know, the, the, you know, your family when you grow up. How about just the fact that my parents would allow me to have a wiffle ball field and wrestling ring in my backyard. Um, it shows like the kind of people they were. The people that I met in high school uh, you know, the managers and assistant coaches and coach Gregory, up up at Rutgers, Rob and, and what he allowed me to, to do. He literally let me do whatever I wanted in terms of trying to figure out recruiting and running camp and stuff like that and trying to put Kane on the map a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the people that I worked with at St. E's and, and, and all the relationships that you, you build, but more importantly, grow along the way because <laughs> I hate that. I hate like the whole networking scene. I despise the final four, the handshaking, the, you know, ugh, it makes me so sick, you know, like live in the dream, live in the dream. If I have to hear live in the dream one time at the final four, I don't know what I do, but, um, but the actual relationships that you get to build with people and the real friendships that you have, the, the phone calls that, that we have after tough losses, the phone calls that you have after exciting wins, uh, the group texts that you're in is all so important. And there's not one specific person. Um, there's a hundred different people that, that have helped me get to where I am. And, and I, my goal now is to try to be that person for other young coaches in who are trying to get into the businesses, you know, like whether that's a basketball coach or 
a soccer coach or whatever. I need to, not that I know it all, because I am far from that, but um, I think I've figured out um, how to grow up a little bit in this business. And um, I think it's up to me and it's up to, to, to you, Manj, and people like us who, who have had to earn our stripes, so to speak. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't given to us. So to, to teach people how to, how to try to make it and get them to understand that you're an idiot when you think you can be the ops guy, you know, at Mammoth <laughs> right out of college or mm-hmm. that, that you're an idiot that you think you know everything because you coach the middle school basketball team. Like we need to teach people that that's not normal and in, in the right way. So um, any way that we can do that, and, and this podcast, I actually really believe, helps people understand that. Uh, and that's not a shameless plug to you. As you know, I'm not going to do that because... No, you would it, never. Yeah, no. Um, it's, it's things like this that actually look at people's true path um, are really important to young people trying to, trying to learn how to make it. Well, if you didn't try to plug me there, what a, what a great plug for the Pursuit <laughs> Podcast. Um, you said earlier, you didn't know what was next, right? 35. Um, I think I know what's next. The, the, uh, the ultimate, how to be a coach is about to take place at, uh, St. Elizabeth as you as the AD and all the head coaches and assistant coaches that get to come through there now, like they don't know how good they got it. So, uh, (laughs) I appreciate you coming on Tom. This was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely random, definitely tangents, definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of backstory about kind of how our relationship evolved and, and developed and how it still is what it is today and and just you know how to get better i think that's what we talked about and i think uh this is going to be a good one for me to listen back to agreed thanks much all right tom love you man <laughs>